In today's episode of Trek in Time, we're going to talk about crossing the line. That's right. We're talking about Enterprise, Season 3, Episode 19, Damage. Welcome, everybody, to Trek in Time, where we're watching every episode of Star Trek in chronological order. We are currently still in the early days, which means we're watching Enterprise. We're in Season 3, which means we're also in 2004, because we take a look at what was going on in the world at the time of the original broadcast. Who am I? I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. He's the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. And I'm talking to you live from the bridge of the Enterprise. So I'm yeah, let very happy me to be here. be the first to describe <laughs> to anybody who's checking out this as a podcast only instead of on YouTube where you would have the video feed if you're, if let me be your eyes, Matt is a giant nerd. Yes. I got a green screen. I'm fine. <laughs> I will admit to being jealous because all I have for my green screen is an image that looks like the back of a living room. <laughs> so Matt from the bridge of the enterprise and me from the bridge of the back of my living room. Let's get into today's discussion. As usual, before we get into the chatter around the newest episode, Damage, we like to talk about some of the chatter from our previous episode. So, Matt, what do you yeah. have from the discussions? There's a few comments that come in kind of buckets here. The first one is for the episode, our episode 67, which was about hatchery, where the captain loses his mind a little bit and is uh, obsessed with uh, the little like ant people that he's trying to raise. AJ Chan wrote... It's cool that Andre, Andre Bromanis wrote this episode. He started as a scientific consultant for DS9 and Voyager, maybe TNG as well. So cool to see he became a writer. Mm -hmm. I just want to bring this up because we have talked about that before. I can't remember which episode it was that you brought that up, that he was a scientific advisor. And we talked about that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. He's he's gone on. He's involved in a bunch of different programs that he's continued to be a very strong writer and for a number of years. And he... I recently, at your recommendation, recently tried out the Orville for the first time. And oh, yeah. What do you think? He, he was involved in that. He's been involved in, uh, he's one of the science consultants and writers for that show. And mm -hmm. he did a bunch of stuff for some of the Star Trek movies. So he's been very involved in all of this for a long time now. Robotrev also dropped a comment that had me laughing for quite a while. Personally, I think Archer would have been better off reading What to Expect When You're Insecting. That's... Slow clap. That's yep. <laughs> wow. I can't. I'm gonna. <clears throat> I'm gonna bask in the glow of that one for a while. That's pretty impressive. Thank you, Trav. <laughs> okay, so in the episode 66 for us, which was Doctor's orders, that's where Flox is the only person aboard the ship. Everybody else has been but sleep. Vinyl Solution wrote. Sorry, I must have been much more gullible than you two. I fell for this story hook, line, and sinker back in 2004. Billingsley was brilliant, Blaylock was hilarious, and the directing successfully pulled off a haunted house vibe. Your rewrite ideas are interesting, but could have undermined the creepy Omega Man theme. Mm -hmm. If all the cast kept showing up, helping or hindering Fox's efforts, it would undermine the Fox all-alone point. The episode is easily in my top 10 favorite episodes of Enterprise, and I hardly noticed it was a bottle episode to save money, which is a small victory for the production team. Death to clip shows. Cheers. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I agree with that completely. I, I, I mean, the the whole I mean, death eclipse shows. This was a really well done bottle episode. Mm -hmm. So I agree with them on there. And good feedback on our rewrite being maybe it would have gone a little off the rails, <laughs> depending on how it would be executed. And then Pale Ghost wrote on the same episode that rewrite was a long walk, but worth the destination. The premise of this episode reminded me of your desire to see the denobulans have some sort of temporal awareness like Guinan's rays. It kind of fits here since he can travel through this type of space unharmed. Mm. I'm surprised you guys went the whole video without mentioning this episode was a repeat story that Voyager used with Seven of Nine. I completely forgot about that episode with Seven of Nine. So did I. And that's the but value of right. the kind of rewatch that we're doing is yeah. taking the shows out of temporal order and making yes. them about contextual order of the, within the Star Trek universe. We're... Yep. We do occasionally refer to this is like an episode of Next Generation, but mm. I think what we're trying to do is a little bit more of within the Star Trek universe, what do characters mm. know of how the universe works and how do they build forward in time within the Trek universe? So that reference to the Voyager episode is something we would have said if either of us had remembered that episode. Yeah. And I think that's totally part of the value it. of this is that this is a rewatch of a lot of this for both of us. So looking forward to getting to Voyager sometime in the year 2039. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get there, you'll hear that that's the read alert in the background. And of course we all know what that means. It's time for Matt to read the Wikipedia description of this episode damage. And Matt, I will give you a fair warning. No. This is a good one. This is this is a nice okay. write up. Is that a sarcastic? This is a good one, or is that a genuine? This is a good one. I genuinely like this part of our program. Okay, <laughs> all right. Here I go. Damage is the seventy first episode of the television series Star Trek Enterprise, the nineteenth episode of the third season. The story is a continuation from the previous episode, Azadi Prime. The television show is set in the 22nd century of the Star Trek science fiction universe with Captain Archer of the NX-01 Enterprise struggling to explore space and meet aliens. <laughs> that is such a vague description of this episode. Okay. That is the entirety of it. Yeah. I really like the fact that the only part of this description that has any kind of plot element mm -hmm. is that it refers to the previous episode. Yep. Other than that, you got Captain Archer struggling to meet aliens. Why am I so lonely? He says. So this Swipe is season right. three. Yeah. Swiping right. Denobulans, Vulcans, Klingons. Orion Slave Girl. Season three, episode 19. This one was directed by James Conway. Written by Phyllis Strong, and I've got a note about her involvement in this episode. This would be the last episode that Phyllis Strong writes for really? Star Trek. Yes. She had contributed four scripts to Voyager, was executive story editor for Enterprise with the show's inception until September 2002 when she was promoted to co-producer. And she would leave the show at the conclusion of the third season. This was her 13th and last script for Enterprise. So she's been a critical part of the show up to this point, but she would be departing at the end of the season, which at this point, we're already in episode 19 of this season, which means we have just a handful of episodes left. The original air date for this episode was April 21st, 2004. 
And guest appearances in this episode include Casey Biggs as the Illyrian captain, Randy Oglesby as Degra, Scott McDonald as Commander Dolum, Tucker Smallwood as the Zindi primate, Rick Worthy as Janar. And it took me looking up Rick Worthy after this episode and being like, I know that guy's voice to suddenly realize, oh my God, I know who Rick Worthy is. He was a mm-hmm. regular in the show of The Magicians, and I think he's a terrific actor. I really like his performance. And seeing him beneath all this makeup is another example of the kind of caliber of guest stars that they get, and then they layer them under latex so we don't even know who they are. There was also the sphere-building woman, Josette DiCarlo, which is a very strange character name to give... Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it could have been the builders. It could, it could, yep. they could, they could have given any kind of name, but sphere builder woman just makes her sound like she's playing with Legos in the other room. I don't know. <laughs> so on this air date of April 21st, 2004, Matt, do you remember what you were dancing along to? Yeah, you do. Yeah. It was the yeah, song. Yeah. By Usher mm. featuring little John and Ludacris. Okay. Moving on to movies. Kill Bill Volume 2 opened to 25 million. This, of course, being the right on the heels of Kill Bill Volume 1. These were not legitimate sequels. This was effectively one gigantic story that was just cut in two mm-hmm. to make it easier on audiences because otherwise it would have been a five hour set. And on television, on April 21st, 2004, what was America watching? Well, once again, they weren't really watching Enterprise. Cutting to the chase, I loved this episode. I thought this episode was really strong. I was only one of 2.9 million people watching this episode. This, this, is, this is the n- lowest rating. This is a very low n- number of viewers. And yeah. I'm not sure what else might have been happening. If there was something else that was going on in April 21st that would have drawn viewers away from the show in this way. But this is a this is a fairly steep drop for a show that has been bouncing along at about 3.5 to 4 million viewers. To go down sub three million is a is a bad sign. Mm-hmm. But people were watching on ABC, My Wife and Kids, about eight million viewers there. Sixty Minutes Two on CBS, eight million. Fox had that seventy show with almost ten million, and American Idol at twenty one million. NBC was showing a repeat of the most outrageous moments. For those of you who might be listening now, who were born in the past couple of decades. We didn't used to have YouTube. What we had were compilation shows like Most Outrageous Moments, which took videos and put them all together and put them on television with commercials and said, America, we bet you'll watch this. And they were right. 10 million people watched it. Enterprise only had 2.9 million and Smallville had 4.4. So Smallville also had a dip in its viewership based on the recent, the the previous week. What's weird about that is the last episode ended with the, Enterprise getting pummeled to a level that was like cliffhanger of cliffhangers. I remember watching that and being like, can't wait for the next one. Yeah. It's like the fact that they went from just under four to that 2.9. It's like, how did those 1 million people go? Yeah, I'm good. I think that <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need to see this. Part of it for me is, is this is of course back in 2004. So we're talking about 18 years ago. We yeah. have a very different model of television right now where we have, you know, we're, it's being called the golden age of television right now, prestige television being the model where you, you have 12 episodes instead of 22 to 26. Uh, 
you release all episodes potentially all at once or the new model that I'm seeing really take traction is you release three episodes all at once and then you make it weekly. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as a mid season hiatus. There's no Mm -hmm. holiday break. You release your show at a time when it makes sense for you to release episodes over a eight to 10 week period as a block. And then you expect reviewing and subscription model to bring your viewers back the dates. If people are paying attention, this episode aired almost a full month after the previous episode. Oh, right. There was a spring hiatus. I think that this is a demonstration that the model of television in 2004, which as I said, we've moved forward from there. A lot of television is now taking this different approach. I think what we're seeing here in 2004 is the death of the previous model. At this point, DVRs were just beginning to take hold of how people viewed television. And there was a big push among networks of how do we basically avoid people DVRing? They didn't want people to time shift to their viewing. I remember that around this time, you started seeing shows starting at 905 and going to 935 instead of 9 to 930 because they were intentionally trying to throw off people's ability to record programming. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder if an audience that was beginning to shift away from we will watch when you tell us to watch and shifting more toward a I want to be able to control when I watch. If this spring hiatus break effectively threw the audience out the door. Because it really does seem strange that there'd be this month long break. They would have had repeats during the inter, uh, the interceding weeks. And then the audience just didn't come back because, well, why would they, they've, there's a different model of maybe they didn't realize it was the future. Yeah. Especially if you're not in the habit of watching UPN and let's be honest, who was, Nobody was. And so if you're not watching other UPN shows, this is part of the problem when your entire network is built around one program. If your program doesn't have a new episode, your viewers don't come in and see any advertising. Therefore, they might not, as Matt just said, they may not have known the show was back. So really, really unfortunate for the program this week because this episode, as I said, I think this is one of the best episodes of the season. And it's one of my, I think it's, it does a lot of things that are very compelling and challenging for the characters and the viewer. In line with those challenges, in the news at this time, April 21st, 2004, we had breaking news coming out of Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, which revolved around the U.S. military abuse of prisoners. The BBC was reporting that photographs showing Iraqi prisoners in the Abu Ghraib prison outside Baghdad were being tortured, abused, and humiliated by U.S. soldiers and it was sparking outrage around the world. Six soldiers faced court-martials, and their commanding officer was suspended. From the BBC report, CBS Pictures showed prisoners standing on a box with wires attached to his genitals. The CBS footage showed graphic images of the abuse of Iraqi prisoners, images of U.S. soldiers allegedly abusing Iraqi prisoners at a notorious jail near Baghdad have sparked shock and anger. Politicians in the U.S., Britain, and the Middle East expressed disgust at the images broadcast on U.S. television and called for those responsible to face justice. CBS News says it delayed the broadcast for two weeks after a request from the Pentagon due to the tensions in Iraq. Last month, the U.S. Army suspended 17 soldiers over the alleged prisoner abuses. 
later on after this report broke, President Bush would join those saying he was disgusted by the actions of, of the military who took part in the abuse. And there was no attempt from the White House to grant any kind of clemency to the individuals who were brought up on charges here. So the misuse of power, the any means necessary attitude, and the the treatment of people who you were in a position to control, abuse, and misuse. Strangely, this news story is something that would have been brewing for weeks and months. And the events that took place took place well before this April 21st broadcast. But this yep. episode seems to strike that dead center of that target of people willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done, even if it means crossing a line. Because we see in this story, Archer and the crew being willing to target completely innocent people in order to carry out their design of we have this mission in order to save earth. And we are talking about yep. billions of lives versus a handful of aliens that we've just met. So a very challenging episode. So as we mentioned before, this is picking up right on the heels of Azadi prime. The previous episode, the enterprise is damaged. It looks like it's damaged beyond repair with loss of crew and a, a, a level of destruction on the ship which included some tremendous special effects in the previous episode. The battle sequences there included explosions in the saucer section where you actually see individuals flying out into space. And we see yep. the aftermath here in the doctor's uh, medical bay, which is filled with people on the tables and there are bodies stacked on the floor. And the surprising return of Captain Archer after we see the Zindi arguing amongst themselves I felt like the beginning of this episode was not quite a yada, yada, yada to get things forward. It was kind of a half yada, yada, it, yada. it was halfway there. It was, it was a single yada. Um, <laughs> it was a little convenient that they got him back on the ship the way they did. It was like, they probably should have made more of a, a do about that, a to do like, like whoa, 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 whoa. That I was not expecting to see that coming. And then it was kind of like, yeah, they just sent him back. We're not going to go into that too much. It's like they could have explained that a little bit more later on when you were seeing Negra and the others talking. They could have talked more about why they did that, but they didn't. So it was kind of like, for me, that was a minor niggle because I'm, I'm with you. This episode thought was was great. Um, and to, just to build on that, special effects on the previous episode were amazing. They're good in this one too. This, the Enterprise flying around. It's like you can see inside the ship. It's all the holes. You can see all the girder and the structure. It looks like it's a, a sad flying space frame more than a spaceship. It's yeah. just like so pummeled. Uh, really well done. And then how they redressed the sets. It looked like like the girders and all the stuff that was everywhere. There was that moment where they're out on the bridge and they're talking about what they're going to do. And then you hear this kind of calm come on saying there, there's a... Uh, a, a power surge uh, in the a power surge in, <laughs> yeah. in on deck A, and you hear Wee! and boom, and you see the sparks flying everywhere, and the bridge ducks, and it was just like thanks for the warning. It was yeah. like the warning came in like a second before it happened. Yeah, that aspect of how they built out everything from the physical sets to the computerized graphics on this episode was just as like immersive. That'd be the best way to describe it. It was so immersive yeah. on how they pulled everything off. 
It's like you can see why they did some bottle episodes to save up that money to spend it on these two. Yeah, yeah. It was really well done. I also am to go back to saying that this is Phyllis Strong's last script for the show. I mean, it really yeah. feels like she managed to jump a school bus through a flaming hoop on this because yeah. she's able to do what very few writers could do with a 45 minute long television script. We've talked on the show before about your A plot, your B plot. And we're typically always saying like, how do these two plots relate to each other? We're very critical when a show, when an episode appears to have a B plot that doesn't reflect anything about the A plot. And they just kind of like one of them will just peter out. Mm -hmm. If I'm counting correctly, this episode has no fewer than four plot lines. Yeah. It has a lot going on. So we have a lot to talk about if we're going to talk about them. And I, and I would like to try and like, consolidate our conversations around each one, mm -hmm. which in some ways is hard to do because not only does she have four plot lines, the four plot lines don't feel like they're disparate from each other. They don't feel like they're going in different directions. They're very tightly wound. We have one plot line with the dissolution of the Zindi Alliance. The Zindi themselves are bickering about actions being taken. And we see the sphere builders really for the first time in direct conversation. We've seen a sphere builder that was in the test chamber that was basically the canary in the coal mine and the Enterprise found them and thought that this was a prisoner at first and then it's revealed by the end of the episode that this is in fact a test case to see if space is being changed in the right ways for the builders. So we see the Zindi arguing with one of these builders and we hear not a lot of detail around what arguments or what the builders have claimed about humanity other than trust us they're bad guys and the zindi are fracturing so we see the simian and we see the the sloth-like versions of the um zindi arguing with the builder and when the builder finally leaves they all kind of look at each other and Degra is the one yeah, to say, did you buy that? <laughs> yeah, like Degra is nope. the one to say like, I don't believe what she's saying because she hasn't done what the humans have done, which is Archer has given us proof. We'll remember that the proof came in the form of Archer providing a coin, which would be a, a family heirloom that we passed down. And he gave this coin, which is a coin from the future, from Degra's family's future to Degra to say like, look, you can carbonate this. You know that there are Zindi serving with the Federation in the future. And so Degra is a key part of this growing distrust. While the reptilians have been outed as having done things, the Exectoids are not in this episode, but you get the sense that everybody in the room is also like, yeah, we can't really trust the Insectoids either. Mm -hmm. And the aquatics are the ones who are actually given custody over Archer. And that is kind of the middle ground. As a, They feel like they're in the middle. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a viewer, I left that scene where they discuss, okay, what's going to happen with Archer? The Retellians are like, we're not done questioning him. Everybody else in the room is like, you're going to beat him to death. And that doesn't do us any good. You've got to give him up and you can give him to the aquatics. This clearly seems like a middle ground. As a viewer, I was not expecting the aquatics were then going to hand him over. Yes, that that was they didn't set it up well, and they didn't explain it later. So when they did hand him over, it was like, uh, shake your head, what 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 just happened? 
So that was, I think, a fault of some of the storytelling. It didn't bother me the way I think it bothers you. I think that it was mm -hmm. a little bit of the the show providing a little bit of a surprise element because we see Archer being transported. We see him questioning the aquatics. Where are you taking me? The aquatic very blithely just hits a control panel knocks him out. and knocks <laughs> him out. So it's like they're not even trying to talk to these people. But I like the fact that it does present the aquatics. I would have liked a little bit more conversation on the Enterprise about like, maybe we've swayed Degra. Maybe Degra is our friend now. There was touches of that. But I would have, I, th mm -hmm. I think there might have been room for a little bit more of that. But what I do think that this did was a nice job of saying, we've seen the reptilians say, let me just keep beating the crap out of him. And we've seen everybody else in the room say, like, you've got to back off because we don't know what is going on. And we did not know where the aquatics landed in this. Mm -hmm. I think that the way it was revealed was a nice, they are not quite as friendly as the simians but they are but also open to reason but they're also yeah. open to reason they're not with the reptilians either so they're willing to be the go-between they're like okay we'll return this guy like you've asked but we're not going to be overly friendly or caretaking we're not going to treat his wounds we're not going to do nice things we're not even going to talk to him so i thought that that was effective so we have the 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 storyline that revolves around their interactions with the powers behind them the sphere builders and the slow dissolution of the alliance that they've had going. Yep. We also have the storyline around Archer and his wrestling with what he feels he has to do in the context of carrying out his mission. He gets back to Enterprise and they find in the shuttle that he is transported back in what look like just basic logs, like nothing important. And they keep pouring over this. And it's a nice sequence where Hoshi is having to teach herself aquatic in order to interpret what is being said in these logs and discovers that the logs are just simple requests for permission to do something. But they recognize it's that the names, message. the coded yeah. message is yeah. the names of Degra's children are referred to as commanders in this request. So they see through this, they keep pouring over the information and eventually T'Pol is able to figure out it is a timestamp and a location. They have to get to a certain spot in space by a certain time in order to make next steps with reaching out to Degra. Here's where they have a major issue. They don't have the ability to fly that fast. The ship is basically at one point, it's even referred to as like, we don't even have thrusters. It's just practically, well, it's practically not flyable. Reed says at one point, I don't even know what's holding us together. Yeah. That was, was one of my comment. favorite. That was one of my favorite yeah. moments is he says, I, I don't even know what's holding us together, but I hope it doesn't give out. Yeah. So now we're wrestling with how do we get there? So here comes another plot element, which is the introduction of another species and this is one of the elements of the episode that i did take issue with they introduced the illyrians and casey biggs who plays the illyrian captain is better known as being the character damar from deep space nine he was a cardassian commander yep. who served under ducat he was in many episodes 
and was responsible if people remember the Deep Space Nine storyline. There's the whole Dominion War, the mining of the wormhole. Damar is the one who comes up with the technique of dismantling the mine field. The producers brought him in, telling him we're coming up with a new species. He was interested in the part and developing it further. Spoiler, we do not see the Illyrians again. Nope. That is so unfortunate for a number of reasons. As we will get into this episode yeah. deeper, it is this, really, really, yes. really well, unfortunate. For this, for, for this plot line, I think you're going to be a little more negative on it than I, I am. I love this plot line I'm because not, it's so... Let me clarify. I'm not negative the way, the, on the that plot aspect line. Of it. Just that, that aspect. aspect. Of it. I wish that there had yes. been a slight tweak, not even necessarily in this episode. Like, if you're going to go with the Illyrians, oh, no. fine. Bring them back. Have there be consequences to this action is what I would would have hoped. Yes, yes. And if it's not because the Illyrians, I thought, okay, why in this case, we have you and I have complained about too much fan service of pulling in other races that we're very familiar with in a way that feels like, oh, they're just doing this because of fan service. This like they brought in the Ferengi simply because people would want to see the Ferengi. This would have been a place where what if they'd brought in a species that we are aware of from the future? Maybe not a main species, but some species that the Federation doesn't have a good footing with. What if this was an opportunity to plant the seeds of like, yes. this was the reason why. Like Archer did this really crappy thing. So yeah, I'll let no, you carry no, the, I'll no, let you, I'll let you no, I was just what you're saying. That that is one of my complaints is that they never came back to this. There's never any consequences. There's it would be so easy later to say at some point episode in the future of we sent we sent a spaceship out to where we believe from to try to tell them yeah we're we're sorry we want to help you find a ship and get them a warp coil to get yeah <laughs> some something they could have done something so easily but they never did it at all yeah. which has always bothered me but this storyline was my favorite part of this show because it's so star trek because it's it's grappling to me star trek is the best when it's grappling with ethical dilemmas and here they've set they've set up in the storyline so well that the captain is in a no-win scenario yeah. this is like the kobayashi maru it's like he has to go against every fiber of his being for basically robbing these people potentially killing some of them to get a warp coil so that he can save the earth yeah and it's like if he doesn't do this, he's damning his planet. And if he does do this, he's damning his his morals. And it was like a really wonderful ebb and flow over the storyline, especially when he's talking to T'Pol. And this is where those two storylines inter intersect. I won't go too into it, but yeah. T'Pol's having these emotional reactions and she loses her, her shit yeah. <laughs> and smashes the data pad and is saying, you can't do this. Um, when the captain tells Reed to get ready for a boarding party, we're going to go in there and we're going to get this thing. And Reed's reaction is like, wait, wait what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's got a reaction of, you've got to be kidding. Trip does the same thing. But there's this wonderful exchange between Trip He talks and, to all the and, major and officers and all of them are looking at each other. They're all looking at each my, other and giving the same look of just like, yes. are we really going to be doing this? This is terrible. But my what we're favorite, doing these people. favorite conversation was between the captain and Fox in that dimly lit captain's room. And the captain just says to him, have you ever done anything? Have you ever done anything that you thought was unethical? And Flock's going twice. Yeah. It's like, what were those two things, dude? Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta tell me. Yeah. But it's like, here's this guy that we've grown to love, and he is an 
he is I look at him as character as he's super ethical. He does what he thinks is right. The fact he's done something twice. Yeah. That he himself says is wrong. It's played up and, that he's almost like the captain's conscience. He's the yes. Jiminy Cricket of the show. So good. And he's standing so there good. and he's whistling and he's the, the, you know, if you just believe hard enough, you can do anything. And for him in that room and the fact that, as you pointed out, it's dimly lit. It is like, we don't get to see anybody's face really. And it is like, yeah, I've done it twice. It's dark. It's a dark moment. But the fact that he doesn't, it's like one of those things where like a good friend just listens to you and says, I hear you, yeah. but doesn't say there's no judgment. There's no, like, if I were in your position, I would do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It's literally, like, I'm just, I'm listening to you and I hear you. And I know there's a no win situation. That's what Fox does. And it was like the perfect scene for the two characters. Yeah. Um, and then the conversation that he has with trip after they do all the ripping off and everything like that, where it's like, trip says you did the right thing. And the captain is basically saying, I, I'm still not sure about that. Yeah. It's like, it's the, the way that they position this, it never feels clear that they did the right thing. Yeah. Ever in the entire episode. Yeah. Um, which I liked, it leaves it unanswered. Yeah. Uh, by the end, which I appreciated. Yeah. I have two, I have two responses to all of that. One is you mentioned Kobayashi Maru. I was thinking the same thing and I was in my fan fiction, uh, brain, my fan fiction canon in my head. I see an older archer back at earth working with Starfleet and arguing with admirals who've never been as far in space as he has to say, we need to prepare future captains for no in situations. We need to develop mm -hmm. psychological testing to see how people respond when they have two choices and one will kill six people and another choice will kill a different six people and they have to make that choice. I, the, the whole Kobe Marashu, uh, Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru. Sorry. I'm tired. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> scenario here is very beautifully rendered and it's yep. also rendered in the T'Pol plotline, which mm -hmm. does come out of nowhere. It is subtly introduced in the previous episode, but we have not seen her do any of what she claims she's been doing for most of the time that they've been in this part of space, they introduced the idea that Vulcans have a effectively an allergic reaction to the one material that would protect the ship from the anomalies in space. In fact, when they meet the Illyrians, the captains first go at getting a warp core. A warp coil is to say, I've got all this stuff that will protect your ship and you can have it all. I don't want any of it. You can have it all if I can just have a warp coil. So he tries to buy it off of them effectively. Turns out that to Paul, since they discovered that this material can't be used without it being toxic to her, has been ingesting small amounts of it in an attempt to build a resistance to it. That's not how she does it. That's not what he says. She says she's doing it because it gives her emotions. That's That was the part that drove me nuts. She, she says... In the episode, in this episode, she says when she was impacted by the, when they were on the Vulcan ship and she got impacted by some of the, the trillion D and how they all went just like completely overly emotional, right? 
zombies, she had that experience of feeling those emotions and she was basically like a drug. She was hooked and she was doing this not to build up her tolerance. She was doing it to basically play with those emotions and to kind of, it was that emotional high that she was going after, which to me was like, okay, I kind of get it, but why the hell didn't you set this up? Like 10 episodes that ago. That was my and problem. She, she was, yeah. It was whatever the rationale, whether it was building a tolerance, whether it was this, just, I just want to get high. Yeah. It, it's, it doesn't matter. I, the fact I that misremembered. This is kind of yeah, like, I miss, yeah. I misremembered. I, I do recall what you're saying about her explanation of why she was doing it and it being the emotional thing. I remember the initial premise being she was curious about being able to withstand stuff, but I may have manufactured that in my head. Yeah. But the, but the other side of it I thought was interesting, even though they, I think they botched the execution of that. They clearly were trying to set something up because she slept with Trip. And in this episode, they set, basically set it up as that's why she slept with Trip. She was doing this stuff and she was probably feeling attracted, sexually attracted to right. him and acted on it in a way that she normally not, would have not done it. Right. All those coy little looks she was giving. Yeah. Like her bursts of anger that she was having in more recent the episodes. Jealousy she, episode. yeah, the jealousy she right. had. But it's it's one of those things they where- They never hinted at Yeah, this. they never hinted at it. And it was a kind of withholding that's unfair to the audience. Yep. Um, it would have been. It makes me wonder if it was deliberate. Or not. Yeah. Like, were they were they just doing that because they were playing with their character, and then later, in the creation of these two episodes, they're like, you know what? We can make that mean this. Yeah. It's like it feels like it wasn't a cohesive idea. Yeah. And that they were kind of retconning what they had done before, which felt really kind of like out of sorts. So the, the, this episode, the storyline of all the storylines, to me, was the weakest starting point. But I liked where they went with it. Yeah, that's the thing is ultimately I would have been along with what they were going for. Yeah. But like you, I wish that they had done a better job of, of weaving this in when they make the claim that, yeah, I remember way back at the beginning of the season, that's when I started doing this. And the very first time that we see her do anything with injecting herself with this, with this compound is in this episode. And that, that just doesn't, fit and i'm not suggesting that we needed to see her ingesting it in any way shape or form but if in 10 episodes earlier she had gone to the captain and said i would like permission to go into the trove of that material we have because i would like to try and conduct some preliminary research to see about making it work for us Right. If we knew that she was going in and doing that, and then you have the sequences where she's acting a little weird in certain episodes. And we've mentioned, oh, this is a little out of character for her, especially the, like the Koi episode where she's looking over her mug at the, at flocks with this look that's just like, who me? And all of those little things, if we had seen something earlier in the season that was, I'm going to work with this stuff, we still may have been scratching our heads, but then in this episode, they would have earned her oh i've been effectively smoking this stuff like yep she practically i mean as she was doing all the stuff to it i thought is she putting that in a crack pipe what is that what is <laughs> happening here is she about to like literally like is this cocaine and then it's it's effectively she is using it kind of like cocaine she she's exploring her feelings she's doing stuff with it that's definitely drug abuse yep but for this storyline, I'm, I'm with you in that I like ultimately where they get, and I love the final scene with her talking to Phlox, where absolutely appropriate that she's talking to the doctor, the ship doctor about yep. it. Absolutely yep. finally appropriate that she is breaking out of that barrier of, I need to go through stuff alone because nobody else here is a Vulcan. 
she is talking to somebody she has grown to trust, the doctor. So not only is it the doctor, it's a friend. So she has, there's like two check marks for me of like, yes, this is the, the emotional network of the show is really, really strong at this point. And I absolutely love his response, which is you've done something to yourself. You may not find it undoable. And you are going to be in some strange territory for a while. And, yep. you know, I'm here for you, but good luck. Like this is, this is going to be strange. So setting up the whole thing with she's gone after trip. She tried to pass it off as, oh yes, I was just experimenting. That was no big deal. Clearly something is going on. Like they've now opened a pathway for themselves with this character with trip and in ways that. I remember when I first watched this episode, these episodes and this storyline in particular around to Paul's evolution, I really mm -hmm. enjoyed this part of, of her yes. character. It's a very yep. strong journey for her. And before we go off her storyline, there was aspect of the filmmaking with her. I thought it was really good filmmaking. So complimented the special effects. I want to compliment the filmmaking because like this, where she's in the beginning of this episode desperate to get to cargo bay two. Yeah. And we don't know why. And she's in command. She says, so she's making it's cargo bay choices. Yes. She's like, is cargo bay two. Okay. And they're like, uh, why would we care? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And then she's like, I gotta get to cargo bay two. And she gets in a space suit and she's going there. The filmmaking of her getting there was so well done to create a sense of mania and claustrophobia. Yeah. And just like with going, there was like a lot of first person filmmaking where you were inside the helmet looking out and just this manic kind of like looking around, like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It was really well done to kind of amp it up yeah. to really make it clear. There is something not right with this woman. <laughs> she yeah. is out of her mind. So I just want to kind of compliment the, uh, the filmmaking. I was reminded by the extreme devotion to curiosity and logic in Star Trek, the motion picture when Spock on his own dons a spacesuit and goes out to confront V'ger. And it's that entire drive of like, I'm doing this thing regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. And you're absolutely spot on in that hers does look like the mania driven by an addiction where yep. she does not come across as doing any of this for any logical reason. It's obvious from her acting and from the way it's filmed. They have the sequence where she's walking through the ship and everything is distorted and everything is slowed down. And it's a simple technique mm -hmm. and, you know, something that's used a thousand times in a thousand different shows and a thousand different movies. But it worked here because it was not, first of all, they didn't overdo it. It wasn't like every Correct. time she's talking to anybody, like she's not talking to Archer and he's like, I'm going to attack this ship. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like you see her walking down a hall where she's not even talking to anybody and you just hear everything is wrong and you see everything is wrong. And she's clearly the, the monkey on her back is out of control. Yep. So by the time you see her getting into the cargo bay, she even potentially has a death scene when she falls and the yeah. oxygen from her tank is disconnected. She has to scramble to get it back into place. And there's a moment where like, imagine the rest of the crew and they're like, we just found to Paul dead in cargo bay two in, in a spacesuit. What the heck is going yeah. on? Like imagine trying to explain that to captain Archer when he gets back, but like, it was, <laughs> but it was, it, it, yeah, it was good filmmaking. Cause as a viewer, it's, they're trying to basically communicate to us without telling us why. Yeah. 
something is seriously wrong with her. Yeah. Because like you're watching like the whole whole scene and you're like, what is possibly worth what you're doing? Right now yeah. Call? She doesn't even <laughs> call like, for help. What is it's like? Out? She's yeah. She's desperate to get to that uh, cargo container full of rocks, and and then literally, you know, turns it into a, a fine mist that she then injects into herself and it is clearly all intended to be she's uh, she's suffering through an addiction she doesn't know what else to do for herself i like the end of that storyline like you said i did not appreciate mm-hmm. like okay this is this feels like you said are they retconning a bunch of stuff did they have some scenes that they cut out of other episodes did they have a larger plan here and then they rushed it like like, was this a moment of like, oh, what if we explain away all of her emotional turbulence with this thing? Because up to this point, any emotional turbulence in the series for her for the, in this particular season, I was willing to say like, well, it's the proximity to just that material in space. Like they're yep. in this weird era of area of space and she is having psychological issues like all the Vulcans did, even though they haven't been using that material. So mm-hmm. like I was willing, part of me was willing to say like, okay, she's going through stuff because of all of that for them to introduce this in the way they did felt a little bit like, oh, that's convenient. But I'm also really happy with how that storyline resolves itself in this particular, yep. particular one. So ultimately to Paul and Archer have a great scene where she freaks out at him. Um, she makes the point that the we've talked about already Archer being in a no win situation and she's clearly sees a line that she doesn't want to cross. She freaks out and smashes a data pad and then follows up with, I didn't mean what I said, but she did like everything she said Mm -hmm. was like spot on and Archer knows it. And he makes a impossible choice. We see the attack on the Illyrian ship. We know that this means that it's going to be, I think the Illyrian captain says it'll take us three years if we're going back without a warp engine. Yep. So a three-year journey ahead of ahead of those guys at the end of this when the Enterprise successfully steals the warp coil. In order to do so, T'Pol has to go one step beyond what she wanted to do, and she effectively cripples the ship as well with an attack to destroy its uh, ability to shield its engine. And so they get back with all the parts they need. They put these things into place, and it sets up in this network of storylines. They've all come together in this way. The Zindi collapse is tied into the release of Archer, is tied into the meet us in three days at this location, is tied into Archer being in a dilemma, is tied into Paul arguing with him vehemently, and all because she is suffering from this addiction that she has been uh, feeding. Like every scene in this episode does what I think you and I have been hoping could happen more and more often, which is, People are given opportunities. Hoshi and Travis have a great scene where Travis is basically saying, well, when we get back to Earth, and he's got this optimistic, like, someday, you know, we'll do all these things, and you can do all the things that you dreamed about doing, like learning how to play piano. And she's like, you think we're getting home? Like, yeah. And it's this beautiful, like, this is spot on for their characters. 
he has this eternal optimist of like, if I just keep working hard enough, we can make it through. And she's got this negative Nancy of like, we're probably going to die out here. I don't know what you think is going on. Mm-hmm. Flocks revealing like all of those dark things in his past without going into detail, already such a three dimensional character and having that moment with him is, is so good to Paul's struggles, which is really the only place at this point for a Vulcan character on a show to go in 2004, they had, we had already seen so many Vulcans, the most recent one being Tuvok on Voyager, which would have been the show that just preceded enterprise. Like we're very familiar with Vulcans. So a Vulcan who is breaking down their emotional barriers intentionally using a drug is really kind of like the newest way to do all this while also giving us a Vulcan who's opening up doors emotionally to bonding with the human crew. It's really terrific for the, for the series and for this character in particular. Mm -hmm. And then the whole captain's dilemma, like it's just pulled out of like the heart of, of Trek that entire, you know, everything that you want your, your characters to deal with the kind of moral dilemmas you want to see them wrestling with this episode has all of that and it does it very very well i was just top to bottom found myself about two-thirds of the way through the show feeling legitimately tense legitimately oh, I was like tense most of like, it oh my god what are they <laughs> gonna do <laughs> and thinking like there's no way they can steal that warp coil as a viewer i was fully in a in the vein of like they've got to find a different way because they cannot do this to these people. And I just love the whole setup yeah. of how they created the ticking clock that's in the background to make the, to ratchet the tension. Yeah. It's like they have, they have to be at this location in three days. Yeah. And this is going to be the make it or break it of saving the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that ticking clock is amazing because it ratcheted tension from like, Oh, it's a seven out of 10 to 11 out of 10. Yeah. It's just like, ah, everything that was happening yeah and it so would have on. been it would have been weaker if it had been oh we need to get a warp coil because we need to chase the weapon or we need a warp right. coil because there's a ship that we, we we're about to lose from our sensors and we need to keep up with them the fact that it's literally like i'll make a date with you be here at a certain time like the simplicity of that the simplicity yep. of like oh this is this is your one shot we will not get this moment back yeah perfect perfect way to to handle that so for me this is an a plus episode this is really really like this is peak not only this is enterprise but peak this, star trek this this ties back to like when you and i were just ragging on episode after episode in season two yeah. and even in the season one it's pretty boggy and we kept middle. saying yeah wait till season three wait till season three this is why we were saying that for me season three is where the show is genuinely good yeah um, they finally are delivering on a lot of promise and it's episodes like the previous one and this one, the two-parter specifically, that are just make me love the characters and this entire series. I forgive two seasons of a rocky start yeah. because of what we get here in season three. It's also evident that it, it was almost like a soft reboot because they've taken yeah, them into the section of space where they meet the mysterious builders who are doing all the same things the Sulaban did. 
like it is just like it's back to they're not calling it the temporal cold war but it's this oh they're doing stuff because they're trying to assure something in the future and they're monkeying around with the timeline and they shouldn't be doing that so like literally lifting from themselves two years later just redoing that same sequence tells you they were very clearly like oh we have to kind of like rethink what we're doing and why yep because yep. having people temporal cold war and then running into ferengis is not going to do it so they took them into a place where it was like okay this is just weird space they are in a clockwork mechanism and they don't know what it is what are these spheres what is happening to space who is doing all of this that's the newness the weirdness that the show needed and they're at this point doing it really really well yep so to the listeners or here on youtube the viewers do you agree was this one one that really knocked it out of the park for you because matt and i we try to keep our episode discussions you know like a, a concise length we've we've over the past couple of what is it now a little more than a year of these episodes our yeah. first episodes went on for quite a while we've whittled that down so that we can get a concise 30 35 minutes we've been talking now for almost an hour about this episode and i think it's because this episode deserved an hour yep. do you agree with us is this one that for you like ticked all the boxes or do you disagree do you not like the direction the show is going at this point let us know in the comments on YouTube, you can go directly below the video, leave a comment there, or you can find the contact information in the podcast description if you are listening to us through a place like Spotify, Google, or Apple. And if those are the places where you have picked up this podcast, please go back there and leave a review. Give us a thumbs up and let others know that you like listening to the show because all of that really does help support us. And if you'd like to directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click on the Become a Supporter button. It allows you to throw coins at our heads. We appreciate the welts, and it does more than just that. It also makes you an ensign. Being an ensign gets you into your feed, our spinoff show, Out of Time, in which we talk about not only Star Trek, but we talk about Star Wars, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever catches our eye. More recently, we've talked about shows like Lower Decks, and the Lord of the Rings series. So we hope you'll support us and then check out the spinoff show. All of that really does help us with our program. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time.